Alright folks, I'm Scuba, welcome to the Besides the Norm podcast. We've got a very special guest, I'm going to let Craig introduce him. Craig's going to take the reins this time on this podcast since it's a kind of more political based thing. I'm the politics guy. You're the, well, the smarter guy, that's really? What I, do. I do the politics. Well that's it, you do the politics and the kind of more smarter stuff. Mm. And obviously shows by me saying the obviously more smarter, so there you go. Because you're not the smart Well brother. that's it, that's, and it's a perfect way to work. Um, okay, so let's move <laughs> on to Craig. Right, so today we've got a uh, Bill Mayer. Uh, he's uh, a candidate for Solidarity Scotland, uh, running in the twenty sixteen uh, elections. Uh, what started you off in politics? I know, I know, uh, you started off working for the council, and you've been involved in a lot of different campaigns. You, you That's were right. Sheka Bayou, uh, Bio. Yeah, yeah, definitely Sheka. Uh, yeah. You're on the Solidarity campaign. Yep. Uh, no, the Palestine campaign. Palestine Solidarity, uh, that's right. What, what, else you, what else have you been involved in? Well, I was... Um, sorry to start off with... Uh, hello, Craig. Hello, hello. hello Stephen. And hello, <laughs> uh, hello, hello, Beside the Norm podcast listeners. Um, the whole two of you. Yeah, the, or, <laughs> all, all of you, every single one. Um, I was also, for three years, I was a director of Frey Five, which is a racial equalities charity for, for Five. And that really opened my eyes. I, I, I stepped down a couple of years ago because we were setting the charity up and I did directorship for three years and I stood down to let kind of more, to refresh it, to let younger people come in. Anyway, the time that I was doing that, that was very, very instructive and it really helped me look at issues of racism and prejudice and bigotry in Fife. Uh, and actually, it helped me learn as well that Fife is a lot more diverse than you think. Yeah. If, if you live in a big city like Glasgow, um, Edinburgh, something like that, you'll have maybe communities where Pollock Shields, for example, lots of Asian people in Pollock Shields from Pakistan, that sort of stuff. So you see lots of communities together. You don't see that in Fife. No, so you no, very no. rarely see lots of people from different communities together, scattered all over the place. Uh, so it was great working with Free Fife and getting to work with all the different communities that there are. Yeah. So, <clears throat> 2016. Yeah. You're running for a what's what's your constituency? It's Mid Scotland and Fife. Mid Scotland and Fife, right? Mid Scotland and Fife is enormous. It's it covers the whole of Fife. It covers Clackmannanshire, it covers Perth, and it covers Stirling. So it's massive. Right. So you've got you've got a lot of work on your hands if you if you get. That's right. <laughs> we can't really go around leafleting every door like you would if it was a council <laughs> election, and we can't go around speaking to every single person. Yeah. So I've had a personal issue with uh, who I'm going to vote for. Right. In the 2016 election, uh, after the independence referendum, uh, the unfortunate failure there, uh, I think it was Tommy was the first person to come up with Tommy Sheridan yep. to vote for the SNP in uh, the general election, yep. and then to vote for the Greens or Solidarity or I think uh, Rise. I think it was another. Okay, that's another pro indie socialist yeah. party. Yep. So my problem is that I've had issue with certain parties, like yeah. the Green Party, who are against GMOs, and I'm for GMOs, okay. and uh, SSP, who've sort of not had a full idea of where they stand on that sort of thing. Where, do, where does Solidarity stand on, on GMOs? Is, is, there a, is there a 
official position. GMOs, this is a genet- genetic, genetic modified, modified organism. We haven't we haven't sat down and debated this yet, and so I'm sorry to say that we're probably as bad as the rest on that particular issue. The, the, the debate within the party when we've spoken about it is one of them, one side of the argument is, look, you know, this is like kind of mutant uh, organisms and you, yeah. you've no idea 20, 35 years down the line what's going to happen with people eating genetically modified food, right? You know, you look at thalidomide that was a, a harm, supposedly a harmless drug to stop um, morning sickness with pregnant women and then it turned out that, that it had terrible effects on babies and babies have been born with, with, with disabilities and all sorts because of this drug, uh, which they thought was grand and yeah. was fine. So there's side one and side two is like, well, look, you know, uh, at the end of the day, this could be really good for agriculture and so forth. We can grow crops that are resistant to pests and pe- without using lots of chemicals and poisons yeah. and pesticides, etc., etc. So I'm not a scientist, so I really need to hear and learn a lot more about it. Maybe you could tell me a bit about it the thing you, you know more than I do yeah the thing with GMOs a lot of the time is because there's that double-edged sword there's there's the kind of the mutant side of things that you were talking about and there is also the good side a lot of the meats and stuff like that are all kind of GMO processed so anything you go to a supermarket will have been GMO processed anyway for kind of for sale in the supermarket yeah. a lot of the time it helps it last longer it helps it helps it last longer and all that stuff and it's just it's, it's hard to kind of come up with an idea I, I suppose a policy to kind of fix that mm. in a way because it's such a double-edged sword. To be honest, at this point, I'm picking on a political parties based on the less important issues because they all seem to stand on the same mm-hmm. big issues. They all seem to stand together. They all seem to agree with each other. They all generally tend to be anti-austerity. They all tend to be pro-independence. They all sort of fight for the poor, a pro-immigration, a a lot of them are pro-Palestine as well, which I agree with. So, to be honest, I'm nitpicking. Right. No, I, 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 yeah. I was at a meeting last night, we were talking about this. It was a meeting of all sorts of uh, political people, not just one political party. We were talking about this. So, political parties all wear the same sort of clothes because they know what the public are interested in. And yeah. a lot of the bigger parties... Um, and it's easy for me to talk, for example, at Labour or Conservative. The bigger parties, Labour, openly admit that they use triangulation. Triangulation, which is basically what you do is you think to yourself, right, we've got, and this is the idea of how Labour let themselves down at this last election, why they've only got one MP left in this country. What we'll do is we'll, we'll take our existing membership for granted, whatever it is, they don't, they don't matter, because if you're a member of Party X, for example, the Labour Party, you can vote Labour anyway. So what will we do to get new members in? Well, it seems like the general population out there are concerned about immigration, either for it or against it. Well, what are they mostly? Well, they're mostly against it, right? In that case, we're anti-immigration. We're going to be tough on immigration. Yeah. And we'll triangulate to shift our views. Hmm. So they'll try to make the right noises to fit in with what people want. That's very difficult in Scotland because what you'll find in Scotland is that the views of people in Scotland we're more to the left as a country, we're more socially yeah, concerned. We're more I think we're a more compassionate country yeah, I, I've, than the rest I've of the UK. Definitely. Now, before I go any further with that one, I just want to say this has nothing to do with like Scottish people being better than English people. My mum was English and my dad was Scottish and my little brother's English and I'm Scottish and that's nonsense. It's to do with the history of the country, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. It's not to do with, you can't say Scottish people are better than English. Yeah, it's not uh, individuals, it's countries. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the history of the country. So anyway, it's difficult. So Labour try and do stuff like that and they, they try to come up with a tough immigration stance. 
So when they're talking tough immigration, because people down south might be anti-immigration, people up here in Scotland are actually, well, actually, we're more compassionate, we're more concerned. We want to, you know, if, if people, if refugees or, 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 or migrants want to come to this country, we just want to welcome them. And that's where they become unstuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing as well about, like, anti-austerity, when the other parties talk about anti-austerity, the difference between the big parties and a socialist party is we're not talking about anti-austerity tinkering around the edges. We're talking about changing society, changing from capitalism to socialism. Mm -hmm. So if the SNP or Labour or the Conservatives are saying, oh, we're dreadfully concerned about austerity, we're dreadfully concerned about the poverty in this country, well, you should be, because you caused it. You caused it with your policies to suck up to your rich friends and your rich buddies, like George Osborne selling off shares in RBS at discount price to his mates, yeah. selling off shares in the Royal Mail to his mates at discount prices. And what we're saying is, listen, A, you shouldn't be selling off Royal Mail. B, the bank should be in public ownership, along with the utilities, along with the pharmaceutical industry. That's how we're going to tackle austerity. That leads on to fracking and all sorts of stuff. So, so what it is, to my mind, is looking beneath, yes, you've maybe got four candidates and they're all trying to say the same thing. So I guess the, the question to get underneath the skin is, okay, so how are you going to do that? What's the cause of it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to change it? Don't be just standing there saying, oh, I'm dreadfully concerned about the poor in our society. A, did you cause it? B, what are you going to do to change it? And C, that's how we're going to find out if you really mean it. Yeah. So that's a great, great no, spot on. There was a, a, I was watching a... I think when Craig, when Craig first mentioned that you're coming in, I, I kind of got a bit mixed up at first when he said Bill Mayer. Right. I thought it was the guy that does that, that religious uh, documentary. The HBO. The show. HBO channel. Was show. that the guy with an H in his name, Bill Mayer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought at first that, that was who it was. No, 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 he's, a, he's an atheist. He's, oh, oh, yeah, oh, is he? He made a documentary called Religious, which is like ridiculous and religious. Oh, I see, religious. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I got a wee bit mixed up with that at first when he first said it was you coming. Yeah, he's a bit of a global megastar. Well, that's it. good for your podcast. Yeah, whereas your podcast good for me. Yeah. <laughs> so um, aye, uh, I, I kind of done a, a quick bit of research and come across your YouTube channel, right. and you've done like a, a wee bit about uh, austerity, and I think yep. you're still continuing on with a lot of the stuff you've not done it yet. But that's right. Yeah, my aim is my aim is to do um, a wee podcast um, or, or a vodcast mm -hmm. uh, about each of our manifesto points, but yeah. I'm learning as I go along. So we were talking earlier before we started mm -hmm. um, recording and, 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 and broadcasting. That, uh, <coughs> about the older generation, I'm 53, the older generation needing to get switched on to the idea that stuff that's online is much more powerful sometimes than your traditional media. Anyway, so I did my first one, my first <coughs> vodcast about anti-austerity. It was like 11 minutes. Mm -hmm. And the feedback I got was, Bill, far too long, far too long. So my next one was six minutes, and my aim is to get, if I can, is to condense it three minutes, like three a comedian minutes. trying to squeeze can it as much as much stuff well, as exactly. you can out the. Can but, but, but still, but still get the detail across mm. and get away from what I just said a second ago about superficial politics, about saying oh, in solidarity we're dreadfully concerned about this and that. I need mm. to say how and why. See, I'm weird. I actually prefer eleven minutes. Well, this is what you could do. You could do this. I, I like a long-winded explanation. Oh, that's right. what I'm saying because you could still do the six-minute version, but can you uh, put a link in the description yeah. or something like that to say? This is a more kind of detailed description if you're interested in watching sure. a longer one. Okay, so that's good advice. Because you could even do the full video and just cut certain bits out. 
edit certain parts and make that the shorter version rather than having right. to do two Cut videos. Cut it in it's like bullet, so bullet point kind of thing. Bullet point uh, kind of well, ideas. When you talk about editing or something, <coughs> bear in mind, me making a vodcast is me talking to my phone. If you need anything done, <laughs> yeah. bring it up. We'll, we'll get it done oh, for fantastic. you. If you need, fantastic, if you need fantastic, help, you. man. You want it for that? Sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when you first heard uh, it was a socialist party, uh, you brought up Trotskyism. Trotsky, aye, aye. Did, aye, did you aye, ever aye. find out what Trotskyism I never got any was? further on. I was a uh, I read read uh, that uh, the Solidarity Party. This is how silly I am. Basically, <laughs> I read that the Solidarity Party were kind of an offcut of socialism. Basically, okay, an offcut of the Socialist Party at that at that time when it's come out, and I'd seen the word the Trotskyism. Yep, and I'd heard it on a is it a Yes Minister or something like that, oh, like right, an old yeah, program yeah. years ago. I'd heard it. <laughs> I heard they were talking about a neo Trotskyism and kind of going into like the different offcuts all that stuff. And uh, I never got any further, so there's no much a point of point that should be made here. I just wanted to bring other than that just that's I that's didn't. Well, go yeah, I, I mean, I'll I'll put my hands up. I'm not one of these um, politicians that within <coughs> within socialism you've got Trotskyism, you've got Marxism, you've got Leninism. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to say right here, I've got a I've got a policy of never n- never bluffing, I never lying. If I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to say right now, I've got no idea. Some of my comrades in the party, these guys can quote, and it's incredible, it's impressive. Yeah. They'll quote to me, well, you see, Bill Lenin said, da, da, da. but of course, Marx said, I was like, oh, that's amazing. The reason that I'm a candidate for solidarity, the reason that I'm interested in politics, I come from a very simple, basic starting point. I believe in a fairer, more equal society. I mm-hmm. don't believe in prejudice and bigotry, and I certainly don't believe in the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. That's my starting point. And from there, that's how I got into politics, and mm-hmm. that's how I found solidarity, and that's how I became a candidate. But lots of my comedies, I mean, they're just amazing with the, the historical knowledge that they've got. Hopefully there's room in, 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 in socialism for kind of <coughs> both kinds of politicians, but I'm not an expert. So but there was somebody... I, I'm, 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 I'm as uninformed as you are, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Did you did you go to a, a university to study politics or anything like that, or did you just come out straight from like a working aspect? Or um, I've been up and down, up and down. Um, I went to university, I was a mature student at... Um, so... I left school with no qualifications when I left because my dad was in the Navy and we moved around. I was born in Fife, but I grew up all over the place. I mm-hmm. grew up in Derry and Malta, north of Scotland, south of England. Came back to, and was in school. Was never in any country more than three years and never in any, more, any town more than two years until mm-hmm. I was 14. Wow. So, um, so that messed up my schooling. Left school with nothing. Eventually went back to education um, and uh, had to do a mature students thing at Kakori College of Technology. Mm. To my surprise, I ended up at St Andrews University. Now, this was great because here I am. I'm married. I'm working class. I'm living in a council housing estate in Burnt Island, and I'm going up to St Andrews University because it's my local <laughs> university. So I'm going to university in Fife. Mm-hmm. And all my mates who had come off a mature students course had gone to Dundee or Stirling, which is like full of like a more mixed demographic. Yeah, yeah. You might say just more normal people, but a more mixed demographic. Yeah. St Andrews was just full of extremely rich, privileged people. Yeah, absolutely no idea of the sort of experience uh, that I've had growing <coughs> up. Perhaps you guys have grown up, but I have to say, I got in great. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, I was like a zoo exhibit. I was, like, you know, people people would say to me, Billy, is it is it true you really live in a council estate? I said, yeah, yeah, actually I do. <laughs> this was amazing. So I was like a celebrity, you know. But listen, I I I, I don't want to take a cheap pop and take the at these guys. I got in fine with these guys. Mm-hmm. We came from very different worlds, yeah. but that was. That possibly gave me, I've always been mildly interested in politics, that probably gave me my kickstart. <laughs> Being surrounded, that was back in the days when you got a student grant. The government paid you oh, to go yeah. to university and college. I was getting a student grant. So, 
I'd been seven years on the dole before that. Um, and oh no, sorry, the three years on the dole before that, sorry. And then I was seven years as a student, two years at college, five years at university. That was 10 years, right? And basically pennies. But the government was paying me. But none of the guys, none of the people at St. Andrews University <coughs> got a student grant because oh, they all, the parents made too much money. Yeah. I used to have yeah. um, university tutors hounding me down in, in the corridors and asking me, please, Bill, could I just have 10 minutes with you? And they would take me to get me to fill in a forum to get money. Because no one has, no one has they've got this access fund money for students with hardships. I mean, I've got these students with hardships. If you fill this in, we'll give you some money. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but what I studied was modern languages. Right. I didn't study politics. But being there, that gave me a real glimpse into the rich and the poor, the ruling class and mm. the working class. It was just so... Nowadays, I, I know students are up there, it's more mixed, it's a bit more even now. You've got a few more kind of working class. There. It's still a university for the elite, but it's got... It's not quite yeah, so... Yeah, 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 it's yeah. not 99% anymore, you know? You, you, you went up to Elmwood. You had that kind of issue, Well, didn't you? Elmwood's slightly different. That You have got some people from St Andrews. That's a college, so it's not quite a university, but... Yeah. Um, you, you have, you have kind of got that. Oh, I, I was like the, the poor kid in the class, sort of, right. just kind of, <coughs> just try to scrape by, and everybody else seems to be doing fine, and that that's that's what stressed me out. Kenway had a bad reputation. Yeah, for some reason has Kenway a bad has reputation, a bad reputation oh, really? everywhere because it's just it's just rubbish. I don't know it's why, just, it's but just, it's rubbish economically, but it, oh, it yeah. seems to have like, like as the the great part of the community is the Kenway is the community aspect of Kenway. Everything here on any businesses, any kind of community work, everything here is all kind of self-serving. So all kind of helps the community based around it. A lot of right. the economic stuff, like if you go to Methil, they've got like a, a docks down there. They've got big factories and stuff like that. So they bring in people like coming in from different areas. So, yeah. so they've got that kind of economic build-up. Kenwood doesn't have that at all. We've got a local taxi. We've got a local taxi. A, a lot of the shops are just local and shops. A haulage, a haulage uh, firm, I think. Didn't I go past a haulage firm when I was coming? I in? think so. I but isn't yeah. it, is it a, is it a big company? Do you can much about yeah, that? What company? big trucks anyway? Yeah, oh, yeah, this yeah. when I was coming in. Today oh, for, it's, it's, it looks London. Oh, I was thought, I didn't think that was. I think still it, it's still around, but that's probably the only right. I uh, probably the only kind of economic. We used to have the bombs really. Yeah, we used to have the Burns. That was the restaurant. The Burns. The Burns Tavern. I drove past that. and noticed it was closed down. Yeah, shut oh, down. And even right. I'm aware of that. I'm that's like it was. That's it's it. kind of world famous. The Burns Tavern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I drove yeah. past it coming here today, and I thought, no, no, it's for sale. That's not. That's that's it. It's an awesome wee place as well. Awesome yeah. place, man. No, I, yeah, it's it's very well known. But so, that's it. That's yeah. that's it. When you were talking about the kind of when you were at university, my sister, my stepsister went up there as well. Right. And she said exactly the same thing as you. She went up and she was like. The scummy person that went up and kind of, but they seem to go on with a lot of the people as well at yeah. the same time, rather than sort of kind of have. I think it's a it's a first, it's a first impression to get you. Oh, yeah, basically, yeah. you're lower, but once they start speaking to you and realise that you're not like just this ridiculous person that just exists, <laughs> that they start to realise that they're that's not it. exactly as elite as they think they are. Definitely. They've got mere money, but that's pretty much. To be born into money doesn't doesn't it give you any kind of higher rent in fact, from anybody. And Ian Duncan Smith uh, makes him stupider mm -hmm. because he's just been able to sail through life, no qualifications or anything, just had to lie about everything, yeah. and he's now a minister. Well, exactly. And then, that, and, and then this current bunch of Tories come out with all this nonsense about we need to motivate people to work harder and get off the dole because they've had no experience and no idea about it. Exactly what you say. So, if you, whenever you in the same newspaper, right, you read a story about how the government is incentivising people off the dole to get off the backsides, 
were told, right, and go and get a job. Turn the page over a bit, and then you'll read a story about a supermarket or a factory opening up, and there's 75 people applying for every job. Well, wait a minute, how, how, how do you marry that up? Mm. So people who are unemployed, people who can't get a job, it's because they can't get a job. It's as simple as that. It's not, you, don't, you, you, you don't need to go to university to understand this. Ian Duncan Smith doesn't get it. He's got this idea in his head along with all his privileged pals of this underclass, and that's supposed to be us. We're the working class. We're the underclass, and we're sitting around scratching our backsides all day, not interested, mm. and, and making money off the state. All you need to do is look at any time, even when Amazon started up, and uh, I might start ranting about Amazon in a minute, in fact, I probably will. Yeah, Amazon have. started up, people flooding in there to get crappy, underpaid jobs, to be treated like slaves, and they are, because people are naturally wanting to work, people that can. The people with disabilities, people with all sorts of limitations who can't work, but people, generally speaking, if they're fit and able, they want to work, even if it's a rubbish job, which, 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 shouldn't, which shouldn't exist, by the way, and shouldn't be allowed. So, again, there's this, there's this, the, 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 this is a problem with Ian Duncan Smith, completely divorced from reality, never had to work for a living. He thinks hardship is when, when you know, I don't know, what he can't afford another Ferrari. I don't know what his, uh, what his definition of hardship is. But I know certainly from myself, having lived through poverty with, with a wife and a young baby, mm-hmm. I know what desperation is. I know what fear is. And that if, if, you, if, if you're wondering, have I ever been in poverty? I wonder if I've ever been in poverty. Well, probably if you're wondering, you probably haven't. But here's the thing. Mm. If you've woken up in fear, if you've woken up in fear and that fear is to do with money, that's poverty. That's when you're in poverty. There you are. Ian Duncan Smith, have you ever woken up in fear, you prat? And not just woken up in fear that someone's going to call you a, a prat on the radio or a prat on the internet, but woken up in fear that you can't pay your bills and you're going to end up with a piece of cardboard by the side of the road in a sodden sleeping bag with a six weeks beard, hoping that someone's going to give you money and not kick you in the face. That's fear. That's poverty. Perfect. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> That's magic. Are you wow. pressed the button there? Sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to continue this rant while I'm on it. Go for it. Although, listen, I've listened to your podcasts. I've listened to your podcast. And actually, this works a lot better when the two of you are talking and, and the other person doesn't. <laughs> Although, to be fair, the ones I've listened to is you two talking. Do if you, you know start I mean? talking about Amazon, I'll join in straight after you. Right, come into Amazon. Feel free to interrupt. <laughs> Here's, here's a story of Amazon people, right? And the lies... I, I should say, I, I said to the guys earlier on before we started this interview, I'm on, the, I'm on this um, campaign to give up swearing. I'm trying not to swear. I'm getting really het up here and I'm doing very well. I'm not swearing. But if I'm coming across sounding a little bit artificial, it's because I'm using words like Pratt instead of the words I like to use. <laughs> I was wondering whether Pratt was... I know, Pratt. Te- te- Pratt. Is I never thought... Is, is that there technically no, a swear word? Is there another one that sounds like... Uh, that means Pratt is not a swear No, there's... Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself bullshit. I'm going to allow myself bullshit because otherwise this is going to be very give, give yourself a limit and maybe five. <laughs> five <laughs> times you can swear. Five times or, or five. Or, or once you can say cunt. All right. I used to say that a lot. And, right. and, you know, if I ever do get elected and stand up in the Scottish Parliament, I probably, you know, if I can get <laughs> the habit of not swearing now. Anyway, this is a story that seems to be logical on, on, on the surface of it, right? So we hear that Amazon, a few years ago, we hear that Amazon is looking for somewhere to set up a big mega distribution base and it's going to cause, it's going to create, sorry, hundreds of jobs. Mm. All right, so we think in Fife, like Fife Council and people in Scottish Enterprise or whatever, they think, well, we'd like that to come from Fife to Fife. Well, people think well, that'd be good because it would be jobs, right? So we're thinking that's good. <coughs> and say so what we'll do is we'll build the building for them free of charge, free of charge out of public money. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come and then they'll, they'll fit it out inside like a warehouse and there'll be hundreds of jobs that'd be great. 
And we'll make the money back. Don't worry, because we'll make the money back, first of all, through corporation tax, and secondly, through PAYE, people's uh, tax that you pay on your income, right? Your PAYE. So it's a no-brainer. And we'll get jobs. And it'll just be great. And then all sorts of people will be coming to Dunfermline in their trucks and, you know, buying diesel or whatever. It'll just be great. You know, let's do it. So we did it. And Amazon came. And Amazon are now in Dunfermline along the road uh, from where we are here, just not, not that far away. Well, here's the reality. What happened? Amazon came along and uh, we discovered, first of all, we discovered they make billions and billions of pounds. So we're rubbing our hands together thinking, brilliant, we're going we're gonna to really mint it here through income tax. Well, no, they've got some kind of tax evasion policy going on, tax right. avoidance, tax evasion. It isn't illegal, <coughs> but it should be. So I think I'll just call it tax evasion. They've got a tax evasion scheme. They don't pay any tax. Mm-hmm. So a corporation tax idea, that's going out the window. Don't worry, we'll make money off income tax. No, we won't. No, we won't because they're paying minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And so the, the poor people who are working in Amazon, and by the way, they're treated very badly, the people who work in Amazon. Yeah, I know a few people that they're work in Amazon. Well. They're not paying any PYE because they're below the threshold because they're making minimum wage. And some of them, through some convoluted scheme of agencies, right, they're actually paid less than minimum wage. And Amazon mm-hmm. gets off with it because it's not them, it's a third party that's doing it. So that yeah. was the lie that we were sold and the bullshit that we were told. Mm-hmm. And this is the reality of what happens. And then, here's the sucker punch for it. You think that's bad enough, it's not. If you go on the online, and nowadays it's all about online, this podcast is online, you go online, you can buy stuff cheaper on Amazon and you can buy it in the shop down here in Kennyway. Yeah. yeah, no shit. You know why? Because they stole it from me in the first place. The same way that the burglar comes into your house on a, on a Friday night when you're out seeing your pals and he nicks your podcast equipment. Then you go down some Sunday market somewhere over the weekend and you sell your podcast equipment there and you'll sell it back to you for half the price that you, you bought it for originally. And you think, this is a bargain. No, it isn't. He stole it from you. Yeah. And Amazon are stealing taxes from us and then punting us books and DVDs at cut price cheaper than you can get in the bookshop down in the high street. No shit. Because the bookshop down the high street didn't steal it from me in the first place. They're paying their taxes. You're paying your taxes. I'm paying my taxes. And these scum at Amazon, these billionaires at Google, these billionaires at Amazon, these billionaires at Starbucks and Cafe Nero, they're not paying any taxes. And then you think, well, they're not paying the taxes, so that'd be great. So they must be like paying the, 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 the workers really good wages. No, they're not. It's slave labor. Well, what's good about them? Nothing. Nothing. They're lying to us. Oh, it's really good because it's cheap. Remember the story? They stole it from me in the first place. It's not cheap if I steal it from me and then sell it back to you for a tenner. That's not cheap. Crooks. Another big thing is for Amazon, they're big on automation a lot of the time as well. So there's going to be like a, a lot of the kind of like the kind of bigger bases that they've got, like the ones in America and some in England are mostly automated all the time. So eventually they're going to try and bring that in, a margin and to right. everywhere. So in all, London, they know they've got uh, drones that allow dr- delivery drones and stuff. Certain as well. things to be delivered to you within the hours. So yeah. all the, so all the, was it two hours? I think it was maybe two hours. Two hours, aye. <coughs> That's the thing, but all these jobs that are promised, they're probably going to just kind of fuck that off at yeah. some point by, and just kind of bring in automation. So a lot of these jobs are going to disappear eventually. When they sort of have the right amount of money that they could kind of chuck in, they probably have yeah. it already, but they're, yeah. they're just kind of waiting for a wee while. So. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it. It'd be a slow. Tra- it would be a slow transition to make it seem like it's definitely, gonna definitely. Yeah, like 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 supermarkets when you have got these automated supermarket things where which <laughs> I refuse to use on the basis. So I'll stand. I'll stand looking like a a, a diddy with <laughs> one item, one bag of carrots in my hand, and I'll stand behind someone with a with a big carrier, a big uh, trolley full of food, and I'll wait twenty minutes for them to get that trolley through so I can put my bag of carrots through because I'm not going to go and use that automated till it's doing people out of jobs exactly like what you just said there yeah. um, there's a yeah, Stephen. I, I went to use it they used the 
things at Tesco a lot of the time in Kirkcaldy when it was open. And mm. uh, we could actually get into Tesco in a wee while, actually, because that was a great thing that happened at the end of the referendum. <laughs> uh, there was a, when I went to use the kind of self-checkout things, there was a lot of the time, like, if you're buying, like, alcohol and stuff, they have to get somebody to come and serve you anyway a lot of the yeah. time. And so it was a bit pointless. And a lot of the times, some of this stuff wouldn't work, so there's always somebody having to serve you a lot of the time anyway. Yeah. So uh, it's just... It makes it look like it's worthwhile, but it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> it's just well, it's a bit pointless. I think the reason the date is the is, thing is it's investment for, for future. Oh, that's yeah. right. It's it's going to be shite the new, mm. but in a decade it's going to be working perfectly well, that's and it. they've already set it up, so they didn't need to pay it in a decade. They could pay it now and sort of make the money back while they're trying to fix it at the same time. That's I think it. that's how they. That's how they're trying That's it. fix right. it. If we go to Tesco, <laughs> yeah, this, this just, podcast has been a bit. I first I started off. I was going to ask how you go into politics, and then I fucked that right. by asking about organic food. I think I think because going, we, we we spoke about that, though, didn't we? Would you come <laughs> yeah, we got to eventually, but but I, I sort of <laughs> because I'm not used to hosting the podcast, I forgot where I was. Right. I was expecting somebody else to start, and then I remembered, yeah. oh shit, I have to start. So I was I started off asking one question, and then someone else popped it in my head, so I asked that question, this, and the whole thing got kind of fucked up. This is, so why I love, this is why I love podcasts. <laughs> it could go totally off the wall, but yeah. we're still kind of going to a pattern sort of thing. Yeah. As long as you remember what you want the to do. The pattern being dodgy. Oh, yeah. yeah it's dodgy back <laughs> it's and forth a, a lot of the time. Right, totally. It's a right. squiggly, a squiggly right. pattern, That's it. but it's a pattern nonetheless. Right. Tesco. That's it. Tesco, basically. Do you remember uh, <laughs> Tesco had uh, put a, a thing saying a while ago that they... Did they actually say to a lot of their, the people that worked for them? To, <coughs> sort of, it was in the paper. I can't remember what paper it was. Was it they, they were to vote no to kind of keep Tesco running? Sort of? Aye, if, if, if you were to vote yes, Tesco would shut down. Right. Uh, or they would move out of Scotland. Oh, yeah. Right. And uh, we voted no. And the and irony is that left. Tesco... <laughs> yeah. And, and not just no, no, that no, one. No, 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 it wasn't that. That was bullshit. It was a... Uh, voting yes would cause uh, such turmoil... Such a fucking nightmare that Tesco would need to shut in Kirkcaldy. Right. And then when we voted no, Tesco shut in Kirkcaldy regardless. And not just that one, there was a good few of them. I can't remember the exact number, but there was probably just, just under a, yeah. 100 it, shops. After, after the referendum, I went through a phase <laughs> of constantly fucking seeing... I'm ruining your swearing hand. You're going to be like, That's fucking good. bastards. But that makes me sound even better because you're swearing <laughs> so much. So knock yourself out, knock yourself out. When... Just after the referendum, every fucking week I was seeing something that we were told would happen or would be saved from if we voted a uh, no, and then it fucking happened mm. anyway, or it didn't happen when we voted no, yeah, depending how they were. It seems that like every single thing they tried to get us to deter us from voting yes uh, fucking happened anyway. We we done our, our we got royally pumped. <laughs> We we done a, kind of a referendum special podcast. It was on an old uh, podcast. Within. I'll send you a link when when we're done this. Yeah, oh, great, yeah. the referendum special thing was like two days after it or something like that. <laughs> two days after the decision was made that we we had voted no as a as a country, and it was just a, a kind of painful recording. It was a painful recording. It was about two hours worth of stuff. There was about four five hours there. But that's it. We, we were speaking about. Uh, I think it was like maybe four hours after the kind of last votes were cast. David Cameron had already went. Against on what he had, had already kind of said that he was going to do yeah. for Scotland, Ed, sort of thing. Ed, almost four hours. Ed Miliband had a took his out. Was it Ed Miliband or was it Clegg? One of the two of the cunts <laughs> a, took themselves out of the Ville 
Like before the referendum had even finished, he'd like walked away for the vote. What the fuck? Yeah. Like people are void now. Well, there's also when when they issued the vow, when they all stood up there and gave that vow, that was in the time of Purda, before the election. So this is Purda um, period, which is uh, what, like uh, nine weeks, I think, before an election. (laughs) And then during that time, you're not allowed to issue any political pronouncements apart from political campaigning. So you can't come up. It's against the law to come up with new policies all of a sudden yeah. that you're going mm. to do. And yet they did. And nothing happened about no, it. No one, complete, yeah. No it, was, it was actually completely illegal for them to promise what they promised, even though they had no intention of delivering it. But what would you and expect? Because it's Labour and Conservative and Liberal Democrat. Anyway, of course they had no intention of delivering Hunt. it. But instead of it just being the usual drivel and lies, it was illegal drivel and lies. <laughs> I know maybe, maybe that's why they're going to turn around and say, well, this is why we don't need to deliver on the vow because it was illegal for us to have said it anyway. So, well, hey, we're off to the beach. You know? <coughs> what annoyed me was, even before the voting started, eh, a lot of the people in the co- House of Commons had said that they didn't support the bill. Mm-hmm. They, they, they didn't want to give us extra power. Eh, the House of Lords, a lot of the House of Lords had already said that they wouldn't agree with it. So there was no fucking chance of getting through anyway. Yeah. And people still bought it. They were like, oh, well, we'll get extra powers. Bullshit. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people were kind of just ready for, like, oh, that's that's the politicians doing a good thing now. They're actually over them. But then we forget that politicians can be arseholes a lot of the time. Absolutely. So we're just like, ah, shit, right. <laughs> that's just been kind of bummed again, yep. basically. Yep. But a pain in the bum. Oh, that was a very painful that day. That was a painful few days, that man. Oh. Right, anyway, so next point. Yes. Uh, <coughs> when I first started getting into politics, this was uh, after me being a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. A self confessed conspiracy theorist. I was, I questioned the moon landings, I questioned uh, 9 11, okay. I was against vaccines, uh, what other nonsense was I believing in? I don't ever believed in chemtrails or 9-11, chemtrails and all that. It's, it's, it's not, not necessarily nonsense. So the, the first couple there, I think you might be onto something. But anyway, you well, I, I, I no longer, I no longer uh, believe what I believed back then. Mm. But now I'm going on a politics. But yeah. I'm, I'm interested in a politician's view on yeah. conspiracy theories because I see them as two separate, two okay. separate things. Well, so, I, no, I see them. I see it, them as intrinsically linked. Uh, it's basically we we. For example, 9-11. 9-11 was either option A, it was an inside job that was done by America and Mossad, which is Israeli uh, version Defense, of the yeah. CIA, right? So it was Israel and the USA blowing up <coughs> those buildings and killing thousands of people in order to justify bombing uh, Muslim countries um, because of Islamicism. And Islamicism, as far as I understand, people say, what is an Islamicist? And Islamicists say, oh, well, uh, he's a very bad man. He's someone who wants to spread Islam across the whole world. I say, right, just like these born-again Christians who stand in the street corner and shout at us that we need to be saved by Jesus. Is that the same thing? <laughs> oh, oh, yes, of course, but it's, but it's Muslim, so it's bad. So one man ramming his, his religion down my throat, he's okay. These blokes in Kokori High Street that bang on about how I'm going to burn in hell. How homosexuals are all going to burn in hell using their own language of homosexuals, that's okay. But somebody who wants to convert me to Islam, he's a bad man, he's an Islamicist. Sidetrack. Anyway, <laughs> there's either option A, that uh, it was an inside job, and that's a 9-11 conspiracy theory. Yeah. It was an inside job by Israel and the USA. Or option B, it was a reaction from these same countries that tend to be Muslim-majority countries, 
uh, countries like Iraq and that we illegally invaded and bombed and razed to the ground in 2003 against international law, against United Nations conventions. It was a reaction for things like that from these countries because they're sick and tired of us illegally bombing and invading their countries. So, the example, 2003, right? We were told by Tony Blair, who's a despicable piece of, of human excrement, this man. He really is. He's despicable. Supposed to be Labour, supposed to be the party of the working class. First of all, before we even get on to 9-11 and terrorism, this man was the first Tory Prime Minister since Margaret Thatcher. Margaret Thatcher had been in for goodness knows how many years, can't remember. She had introduced legislation to crush the trade unions and to crush the working class. Tony Blair came in and said, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I won't imitate his voice. He said, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to save you from the evils of Thatcherism. Did not repeal one piece of anti-union legislation. Not one piece. So he was a traitor to the working class straight away. Thatcher wasn't a traitor to the working class. She was an enemy. Blair was a traitor to the working class because he was supposed to be Labour. Anyway, I am rambling and getting off my point. <laughs> Point was, right, the next thing he did, apart from being a traitor, was he then decided he was going to invade Iraq. Now, you guys are young, so I don't know how much of this you remember. But we were told that Iraq was an existential threat to us, of a threat to our existence here in Britain. Now, look at an atlas, how far away it is. It's far away, right? Yeah. And we were told they had weapons of mass destruction that they could launch and kill us within 45 minutes. So we invaded them. And we asked the United Nations, could we please get a resolution to allow us to invade Iraq? They said, no. no, 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 you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't, no. We did it anyway. Mm. And then we said, well, the end will justify the means because they've got weapons of mass destruction. Guess how many weapons of mass destruction they had? Zilch, nada, niente, nothing, nothing. People like Donald Rumsfeld, who was a minister of defence, whatever it's called in America at that time, stood up. He thought he was in a John Wayne movie before we illegally bombed and killed thousands of people in Iraq. And he said... We're going to bomb Iraq back to the Stone Age. No kind of responsible professional government minister says things like that. Does he think he's on the television? What kind of half-wit irresponsible moron says stuff like that? There's real people he's talking about. He's going to bomb the back of the Stone Age. And guess what? We did. Because when I say we, <coughs> that's Britain and that's America and the other countries that we managed to bully into coming and enjoying us. We bombed it back to the Stone Age. We completely flattened the country. We dismantled the military. We dismantled civil society, the police, everything. That country now is bandit country. Yeah. From 2003, it says 2015, 12 years on, that country is still a mess. It's a disaster. That country, right, that was the most secular, which means the least religious, not patronising, sorry, yeah. the least religious fundamentalist country in the whole of the Middle East. <laughs> the president was a Muslim, the vice president was a Christian. It was a multicultural society, it was pottering along very, very nicely, thank you. But we decided to bomb it. So, we bombed it, we destroyed the country, we levelled it back to, to rubble. And it's a mess. And then we're surprised... When, when terrorists come from countries like that and want to attack this country, and we say, oh, it's terrorism because you flew an aeroplane into the building, and what you didn't do was stand up and say, let's have a fair fight in the playground, and I'll punch your face and you punch mine. Mm -hmm. But wait a minute. When we were sending cruise missiles from the sea, from warships in the sea, thousands of miles over the land, and then crashing down into Baghdad and crashing down the cities of Iraq, was that not terrorism? That's not standing in the playground and saying, let's have a fair fight. What's your definition of terrorism and my definition of terrorism? So either way, 9-11. 9-11 was dreadful because innocent Americans, innocent people, civilians lost their lives. It was a terrible, terrible yeah, yeah. thing to happen. Mm -hmm. It either happened out of uh, uh, the conspiracy theory, which I'm not 100% unconvinced about. I'm the same, I'm the same. 
or it happened as a direct result of us interfering with our imperialist, warmongering ways in other parts of the world. We've got no business to be involved in. No business whatsoever. And people say, Saddam Hussein was a bad man. Saddam Hussein was a bad man. Tony Blair is a monster. Tony Blair is a monster. Benjamin Net Netanyahu, uh, Israel, he's a monster. He, he killed 2,225 civilians in Gaza last year. He killed them. He, he murdered them. He was bombing UN hospitals. But, oh, there were terrorists in the UN hospital. Listen, United Nations schools, United Nations hospitals were phoning the Israeli military, using all the code words and everything that they would use and saying, this is, there are no terrorists in this building. There's no militants in this building. There's nobody armed in this building. This is a school or this is a hospital, repeatedly. <clears throat> Whereupon Israel bombed it and killed everyone inside it, repeatedly, over and over again. That's the behaviour, that's the behaviour from the West, because I rank the U United States, uh, Great Britain and Israel together as three co-conspirators of evil. I'm ashamed of my country, Great Britain, not Scotland. I'm ashamed of my country because we're as bad as they are. And that, friends, is what causes terrorism. So we're banging on about anti-terrorism legislation, what we're going to do to stop the terrorists. I'll tell you what we can maybe do to stop making people angry. angry. Stop bombing them. Stop killing them. Mm -hmm. Stop levelling their countries. Why do they hate us so much? Well, have a look at your history. Have a look at our history. We've got a great blot of shame on us. The three of us sitting here in this room, in this recording studio, walk around every day burdened with the shame of what it is to be a nation of war criminals. And Tony Blair sent our young men your cousin and people like him in the army, he made them into war criminals. He's a war criminal, he's the arch war criminal. But he made these young men into war criminals. And then they say, right, and again I'm ranting, again I'm rambling, guys. <laughs> oh, here's on. the thing, right? Here's the thing they say, now, listen, I am sympathetic to young men and women who join the armed services yep, through economic yep. constriction. What else are they going to do, right? They join the army, and maybe they even, either they do it just because they need money and they hope they never have to go and fight. Or maybe they do it because they think they're doing a good thing to defend their country, right? Both of those things are honourable. Yeah. However, they are betrayed by our governments, right? They're betrayed. Now, cast your mind back. You probably remember from stories after the Second World War, the Nuremberg trials. All the Nazis were brought up <coughs> and they said, look at the atrocities that you, that, that you committed in Treblinka in the concentration camps in Auschwitz in, in uh, Belsen. Look at the, the millions of Jewish people that you killed and the Jehovah's Witnesses and people with disabilities and gay people. Look at that. And they said, I was only following orders. And we laughed That's at them, and right. then we executed them, or we imprisoned them. We said, well, you're only following orders, there's no defence. Well, guess what we've done to our young people in these armed forces of this country? Your cousin? We've sent them off, we've given them orders. They've come, I don't know what your cousin's done in the armed service. I'm equating, you know, yeah, young on. people who join up from genuine motives, and we send them off to commit war crimes. And when they come back, they've got not a leg to stand on. These guys, it's not their fault. It's a fault of Blair and the scum like Cameron who send them. And now Cameron wants to go and bomb Syria again. But anyway, we make war criminals out of our brave young men, committed young men, principled young men and women who join the armed services. And we take these people, we exploit them and we make them into war criminals. That is disgusting. Yeah. That's disgusting. And it's always Us. on behalf of politicians as well. Politicians would, uh, like uh, Tony Blair even at the time, would never even thought have kind of like, signed himself for the army to go over and fight this war. Mm. It was just I'd love to get see as that. much people as he can to go and fight for him, sort of thing. It's just like an, it's an awful thing. I've said for a while that uh, people that always talk about supporting the troops, that if anything, 
me being anti-war is more supportive of the troops than being pro-war. Yeah. Because you're, you're supporting them by telling them to go and die. Like, eh, yeah. that supports pish, mate. Yeah. That's not support. That's 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 wanting people to die. That's and I, I'm, no, I'm no one of that. I'm no one of that at all. <coughs> so that's 9-11. That's 9-11, done. <laughs> It was either a conspiracy theory or, or we brought it on itself. Well, I, I'm on I'm on the side of you, me and you kind of disagree on 9/11 a wee bit. A wee bit. Well, the thing is, b- both options, as you mentioned, none of them go well for George Bush or any of that camp through there. Right. No. It's both terrible options for them. Oh yeah, George Bush was a prick. So as much as we want to disagree between the two Agreed. things, it was something shit happened. Yeah. On either side, whatever it could. I be. just like knowing what people. That's think. it. That's it. Yeah. So <coughs> we'll, never, we'll never ever know exactly. No. Or it might come out maybe years later. Listen, you'll, you'll be amazed what might come out. You oh, know, no, the, no, stuff, no. the stuff that's come out about Cuba when Fidel Castro's coming out with these stories, he said, they've been trying all sorts of things, these American pigs, they've mm. been trying all these things to destabilize me, even ridiculous things like uh, putting powder in my slippers, which has an, an, a chemical in it that'll make me lose my beard, so my beard will fall out and I look ridiculous in front of my people. Everyone rolled around laughing. But one of the few good things about the United States is they've got this 30-year law. And documents become public after 30 yeah, yeah. years. Well, guess what? All the wacky, crazy, harebrained stuff that Castro was accusing the US of, it was true. Right. It was true. It's amazing. So I've got to say, well, I'll tell you what, you know, I despise the, the United States as a country, as an administration. I despise their politics. But that one particular bit, my hat off to them. So maybe we will, you know, mm. maybe you know, we tend to find our stuff redacted in this country. There's a big fat black marker pen and go over all these mm-hmm. documents before they're released. The United States are a lot more open than us. So well, within our life, you would never have thought that, would yeah. you? No, no. You, you would. All, you would have. I've always thought that the US would be much more secretive than us because we we seem to be more. I don't know why, but I've got the, the feeling that British politics seem to be more, oh, more upstate sort of higher class people, oh, yeah. whereas US politicians seem to be more on the conservative Christian side, where they're more rugged and more tough and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You notice that you notice that difference between we bet, them? We bet, we bet. Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, you automatically the, the, the assume yeah. you automatically assume that the US would be more secretive and we'd be more more on the good side, mm, if you will. That's but it. eh, it's not always true, <laughs> is it? So yeah. a point I was way past the moment now, but I was I was dying to bring up was um the the CIA was uh, sort of done for a lot of stuff that they'd done years and years ago yeah. there was things such as the feeders the guys that they got they kind of like hypnotised them into kind of doing stuff later on like MPL that time. that's it oh I see okay um, we, I've just been speaking to an entertainment company and we're going to be getting these kind of like hypnotists <coughs> we're going to be speaking to like mediums and stuff so anybody that we can get for the entertainment company we'll go get them to come in and uh, I'd love to talk to the hypnotist about like how they would go about trying to go through that well we, MKL was MK Ultra was more than hypnotism. Hypnotism was all. Well, that's it. So if uh, we've got a hypnotist through, we could maybe get them to explain how we would go through that well, process, sort of thing. With MK Ultra, they would try and hypnotise, and then they'd see that that wouldn't work unless they were already interested in being hypnotised. Well, that's it. They so they would use they would yeah. use drugs that make them susceptible, like acid mm-hmm. or something like that, sort of numb their mind a wee bit, Obviously. and then they'd use manipulation on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the days things like they put them in cells and then not let them speak to anybody so they become mental and mm-hmm. then this they set them off to the point where as soon as they try and tell anybody about this they look crazy yeah. and nothing can be done about it right. but then they came out again with the files and mm-hmm. uh, got shot down with the Rothschilds and it became a big shit storm of pish 
<laughs> MK Ultra is still. You got fantastic with words. I love yeah, it. It's, it's not fantastic. good storm to be in. That was storm that you spoke about there. MK Ultra. Bring your brollies, guys. MK Ultra is funny because, as I say, I went through a conspiracy theorist phase where I was against vaccines and I was against GMOs and I was against the moon landing and 9/11 and. I believe that the Illuminati was controlling every single event in the world and stuff Did like that. Did you believe that Bill Hicks was a Alex Jones as well at one I didn't point? I think Alex Jones was at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but I believed all... I was just one of these extra kind of conspiracy I believed all politicians were run by the Illuminati and all this. <laughs> and MKUltra is one of the few things that is not conspiracy theory, but people still look at as a conspiracy oh, yeah, theory. Totally. And the CIA have released files that admit it, mm-hmm. and people still deny it. Yeah, That's which is which is insane because MKUltra was huge. Well, the, the, on on a much smaller scale, I can give you another example of what you just said. When something is actually proven but still laughed at, so back in this country, in the United Kingdom, with Scargill and the miners' strike, and this is around about uh, 1984 and 1985, the miners' strike kicked off because Arthur Scargill stood up and he said, um, "We need to have an all-out strike." Because we need to stop that monster Thatcher. She wants to close every single pit and colliery in Britain in order to smash a working class and crush your unions. And people said to him, Martha, you're bonkers, mate. You look at look at you. you. Even look a little bit wild, you know, with your kind of ginger hair all kind of sticking out over the place and your flat cap and everything. <coughs> you know, you're a stereotypical raving lunatic standing on the street corner. Ha ha ha, we're all laughing at you. Well, guess what, guys? What happened? What happened? Along where I live, I live in Dyset. There's a colliery next to me called Francis Colliery. In Dyes, it's closed down. Seafield, the other side of my house, a couple of miles down the road in Kokori, that's closed down. Collieries all over Britain closed down. Guess what Thatcher did, followed by Major when he got in afterwards? They closed 95% of all the collieries in Britain. Now, after that, did people then go back and say, dreadfully sorry, Mr. Scargill, you were absolutely right, we were sorry to have laughed at you. No, you say Arthur Scargill to people and they will tell you he was a raving lunatic. He wasn't. He was a visionary. He was a prophet. He was absolutely right on that particular point. You can argue about the niceties of the strike. On that prophecy, on that foretelling, whatever you want to call it, he was spot on. Even though history has shown that he was absolutely right. People still laugh at him. There you go. There seems to be... I don't know. I don't know what it is. People, I I used to think that common sense and rationality were sort of traits that everybody had, but people just somehow couldn't struggled. Listen, they, they didn't know how to use rationality. And to me, I I I've no idea. I'm really interested in psychology, right? I'm interested in a mental wellness. I'm interested in a how serial killers work. I'm interested in how. Uh, hitting kids makes them more violent as they get older and how, uh, well, a bunch of different things. But I've never understood how some people can be uh, rational, sceptical about pretty much everything and then other people can be so easily led mm. and like have the cognitive dissonance to just laugh in the face of proof. Mm. I, I've, that's one thing I've never got to the bottom of. And I would, I don't know if I ever will, but I would love to understand. Are you directly on about like religious people or are you just on about like, just no, uh, I'm on about everybody. Everybody that's kind of just laughs in the face <laughs> and just, when you show Dude, them Like evidence. people that believe. Like the people that believe like they, they, that cannabis like uh, cures cancer automatically. Yeah. When you smoke a joint Aye. or something like that. And people that believe Britain first uh, care about the troops. <laughs> like <laughs> that, that, that kind of, that kind Aye. of ridiculous. Nice right. Uh, Aye, that's one thing I'd love to get to the bottom to. Uh, the bottom of, but I, I don't know how it's ever going to... 
It's you just need to accept the fact that some people are always going to be irrational, and mm-hmm. you just need to. You find that a lot of nowadays in social media, like it, it just it takes over a lot of the time. There was somebody, somebody put up a picture of a spider that you only get in East Anglia. That just uh, that sort of walks about on the top of the ponds in East Anglia a lot of the time. Oh, and yeah. about the size of tarantulas, these things. Oh, oh really? And uh, people were posting this on Facebook uh, from Kennaway, worried about these spiders coming into their houses. Yeah. So they're posting this article saying that oh, the, oh they're coming here and stuff like that. The article says plainly that <coughs> the article is just to kind of showcase these spiders basically that you get yeah. in East Anglia, and that they don't like kind of like closed spaces they didn't come into houses because yeah, it's too puns. that's yeah. it still fuck that people, oh, that's it but people were just people were just hairy. openly sharing this size, thing size oh. of a tarantula you can, oh, see, you can see that that would, uh, would evoke this emotional reaction where you, you, you temporarily take didn't. leave your senses big spider scary well, that's I mean, it. I, I'm with you on that uh, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that freaky well, people just not reading articles. You, you've been to Palestine, me. eh? You were yes. in Palestine. Here's the thing. Have they got mental spiders there? No, but I'll tell you what they have got. Well, they might have mental spiders, I haven't seen it, but they've got exactly the same cognitive dissonance that you just spoke about. Sorry, you can't see this on this on the podcast if I'm jabbing my finger and <laughs> pointing at it. Simply because I'm trying to illustrate you've really hit the nail on the head here. Right. We've been reading recently about all the shootings of Palestinians out in Jerusalem, out in the West Bank, and within Israel. And every single one, when you look in social media, look in the mainstream media, you will see a common theme. The Palestinian supposedly had a knife. The Palestinian either tried to or successfully stabbed some kind of Israeli person, a settler or a soldier, and they got shot in return. And it's it's time and time and time again. It's a very tired old story. I'll tell you two stories. And um, I'm going to relate this if I remember at the end of my rambling to Sheku Bayo, because this is where the Israelis <coughs> learned yeah, yeah, it from. Sheku Bayo had a knife. Oh, yeah. And so the Israelis looked at this and said, look at those guys in Scotland, the police in Scotland, getting away with murder. How did they do it? Oh, they said he had a knife. Bingo. We're going to learn from it. Right. We landed. We went out on a delegation visit a few weeks ago to Nablus, which is twinned with Dundee. Up the road. Dan- Dundee, Nablus, Twinning Association. Been twinned for 35 years. I went out for my first visit to Palestine with some comrades in Dundee Nablus Twinning Association. The first night, we, we stayed in Jerusalem before we drove off to Nablus, which is in the West Bank, which is Palestine-controlled territory. Uh, Jerusalem is supposed to be Palestine-controlled, but actually it's been annexed by Israel illegally. Yeah. So we're in Jerusalem, and we're walking through the old city in Jerusalem down a road called the Via Dolorosa. Now, if you're a Catholic, you know about the Via Crucis, the stations of the cross where Jesus stumbled with his cross in history. It's a very, very famous road. Lots of Christian tourists got them down it, looking at these stations of the cross. We walked down this road, and you'll see why I say it's a Via Dolorosa in a minute. We turned off, we went to a cafe, we are having breakfast. This Via Dolorosa is very long. We're having breakfast in this cafe, talking to the guy who runs a cafe. And he's texting on his phone while he's talking. His friends are texting him. He's talking to us in English, clearly, right? Then he tells us, oh my goodness, you, you never guess what's happened. A woman has been shot. A Palestinian has been shot in the Via Dolorosa. And we said, whoa, we were just in the Via Dolorosa. Now it's long. This is why we didn't hear the gunshot, right? Right. The gunshot. He's talking to his friends who are there, eyewitnesses. And they're telling what's happened. He's telling us. What happened was, this woman was wearing the headscarf. The, um, <coughs> I always get mixed up with niqab and hijab. Anyway, it's just a headscarf, N-Nicab? right? No. Yeah, I don't know. Right. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a headscarf that uh, you see some Muslim women wearing. This Israeli guy, this settler guy, a man, he goes up. For reasons best known to himself, and he tries to rip the headscarf from her face, from her head, to rip off. Now, this is important to Muslim women that they keep the heads covered, right? Agree with it or don't agree with it, it's important to them, right? 
So she whacks him with a handbag. Get away from me. Whacks him with a handbag. Whereupon he takes that handgun and he shoots her. Bang. Right? Jesus. You look at the press. And we were looking at the press just a couple of hours later on our phones in Jerusalem, round the corner where this happened. And the story was that this woman had taken out a knife in an unprovoked attack, tried to kill this guy, whereupon he shot her. Complete lies. Uh, so we noticed from that point on, because we were there for a further week after that, we noticed every single story where a Palestinian got shot that had a knife. Now, here comes the second story that happened. In a town in Palestine, called, I think it's called Atufa, or Arufa, A-T-U-F-A. <coughs> we looked, we're looking at this news article on our phones and on our laptops when we were in Palestine, right, about this woman at a bus station who got shot by Israeli police because she had a knife. Now, at the top of this online news article, there's a video, and then underneath there's a text. So you look at the video, then you read the text. Well, look at this. Exact cognitive dissonance that you said there, Craig, right? In the video, this woman is surrounded by five armed police officers, Israeli police or soldiers. You can't tell them apart, right? They've all got yeah. rifles and guns, and they're shouting at her. <coughs> there's no sound on the video. But let me say... <coughs> Here's the amazing thing. 67 years of illegal occupation out in Palestine and the Israelis speak Hebrew and the Palestinians speak Arabic and these guys don't speak each other's languages, just right to let you know, right? Very rarely do you get anyone that speaks both languages, which is quite odd, but there you go, right? These Israeli soldiers are bellowing at this woman something, I imagine, in Hebrew. She speaks Arabic. She's standing there and what you can see from her body language is looking around, moving her head from side to side, looking at them as if to say, what do you want? But the important thing is you can see both her hands. They're empty. Mm. And then they shoot her. Bang. She goes down on the ground and she's dead. Right? And then you read the article. And it said she had a knife. I'm like, what? Let me go and watch that video again. I watch it again. I read the article again. She still doesn't have a knife. In the article, it still says that she does. It's incredible. So I can stand here and I can say to you, Craig, you're wearing a white T-shirt. Despite the fact it's clearly black, you're wearing a white T-shirt. And there are some people... That if I say that to, they'll just go along with it. Yeah. And I'll say to you, I'm wearing a red jumper. And you'll say, fair enough, Bill, you are. It's actually a fetching shade of turquoise. You know, <laughs> uh, it's quite remarkable. Cognitive dissonance. The nonsense that people, some people will believe. Listen, like you, I don't know why. But it's amazing the rubbish people will believe yeah. if they're told to believe it. And every single story, the Palestinian has a knife. Well, here's what's really happening out in Palestine. Here's what's really happening out in the illegally occupied territories. And it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of opinion. There is, I've got, I can point you to a website and I'll send you the link you can put out in your podcast if you like. This is a website that has 17 pages of United Nations resolutions and international laws <coughs> that Israel has broken. 17 pages. Yep. And it's not a big long story about each one. It's one line. It just tells you, here's the law, here's what they did. It takes up to It's 17 pages. Israel is a rogue, pariah, murderous, racist, genocidal state. Archbishop Desmond Tutu said upon the freedom of the black people in South Africa, our freedom will never be complete without the freedom of the Palestinians. And he said that the the plight of the Palestinians today out in the illegally occupied Palestinian territories is worse than when South African apartheid was at its peak. He said the worst that we suffered is not as bad as what they suffer in Palestine. So you don't believe it from me, believe it from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, believe it from Nelson Mandela, who before he died was a champion of the rights of the people of Palestine, or go to this link that I've just spoken about, 17 pages of United Nations resolutions against Israel. And I talk about being ashamed to be British because the international laws we break compared to Israel, we're saints, we're the good boy of the class, we're the teacher's pet 
compared to these to this country. Very briefly, so I'll end this rant. Here's what's at the root of it, people. It's not that the people of Israel are evil and the people of Palestine are good, but the people of Palestine are like lions, man. When I was walking around in Palestine and Nablus, people would say to me, where are you from? Scotland. They say, ah, Braveheart. Now I say, no, <laughs> I don't deserve that label. You people, you're lion hearts. You're lion hearts. I'm going to do, the older people listening to this will remember a guy called Ronnie Corbett. I'm going to do a Ronnie Corbett here. I'm going to go off on another sidetrack. <laughs> We were driving in a car coming back from olive picking in a place called Yanun, which has got another story to itself. I'm not getting into that. And we came into the Huara checkpoint. There's a checkpoint outside the city of uh, Nablus where we're staying. And there's a demonstration, which is a riot, what we would call a riot here. They call it a demonstration. They've got tires burning, they've got boulders on the road to stop the cars <laughs> going. They've got rocks. Young Palestinian men, Muslim men, a couple of young women in their 20s, right? That's what I mean by young, dressed in jeans and T-shirt. And that Palestinian check scarf wrapped around their face for the tear gas throwing rocks at the Israeli soldiers who are dressed like Robocop with full oh, visors and shin pads and body armor, M16 rifles loaded with live ammunition, tear gas, and armored cars that, that launch 100 tear gas canisters at once. Brrr, sounds like a machine gun, it's tear gas. These lads are throwing rocks at these people. We drove through very, very slowly. We're driving through these Palestinians. Palestinians on the right of our car, Israelis coming down the hill on our left. And as we drove through them, you can see the hatred on the faces of these young Palestinian people fighting, protesting for their freedom, at yet another Palestinian being murdered. And you can see the faces screwed up with anger. And as we rolled down our windows, we rolled down our windows, I made the, the symbol of solidarity, a clenched fist and a bent elbow. And I shouted an Arabic word, Hurriya, Hurriya, I shouted at these young men. It means freedom. These young men, they take the kafir from their face, they look at me and they say, Welcome! And they give me a big smile. Then they go back to throwing rocks. Well, that day, and then we drove off. That day, the Israelis decided what they were going to do. Instead of doing what they normally do, firing tear gas to disperse most of the people and then beating up a few and arresting the rest, they decided to play a new game. And I've got photographic evidence of this. They decided to play a new game. They loaded their rifles with live ammunition. They put the tear gas to one side. And they shot 75 young Palestinian men in the legs with live ammunition. And they lay there on the road. Then they tear gassed them. So they couldn't run away. And they lay there in the clouds of tear gas, breathing their stuff in, breathing it in, and breathing it out, and breathing it in. And when the ambulances came to take them away, they shot at them as well. And I've got a photograph and a presentation I've got about this with an ambulance with a rifle hole that went through it. Right through it. They shot at them. And then I've got photographs of me going to the hospital and holding hands and talking to these young Palestinian men who are lying there with live bullets in their leg and they've been operated on to take these bullets out. And my friend Rami, who's a Palestinian, I said, Rami, Rami, ask these guys what happened. He told me the story. I said, Rami, ask them now. When they get better, the leg's better, and there's a reason for another demonstration when they go back? Nam, they said. Nam. Yes. Yes. Because the occupation is illegal and we will never stop fighting. And that is why I say to these people, I'm not Braveheart, friend. You're a Lionheart. And here's my bad Arabic. Qalb al-Assad. Qalb al-Assad. Lionhearts, these people. Against the illegal occupation, brutal occupation, 67 years condemned by every country in the world apart from America and a couple of its slave friends like Britain and some of these little countries like Vanunu out in the South Pacific that are controlled by America. There you go. Solidarity. Just to bring this back to some kind of relevance as to what we're talking about. <laughs> in solidarity, we stand against imperialism. We stand against Ill illegal wars and we stand four square. It's not on this leaflet here, but I'll guarantee you, ask Tommy Sheridan, ask anyone in my party. We stand with the people of Palestine. No ifs, no buts. 
And as you can go ahead and you can edit this and cut this out if you want. I'm going to keep going. Here's another thing. We had a rally last year, two rallies last year. One in Kokodi, we had some politicians came and stood when, when Israel was massacring civilians in Gaza. Then we had another one. We discovered that the bombs are actually <coughs> made in Glen Rothis in Raytheon. We had two demonstrations of politicians getting up and saying, we stand with the people of Palestine. Every politician that stood up, unfortunately, started off talking by saying, of course, we deplore and condemn the violence of Hamas, but, and then started talking about Israel. Well, here's a newsflash. I do not condemn the violence of Hamas. Hamas is a democratically elected organization in Gaza, democratically elected by the people, and they are fighting an illegal occupation, an illegal siege. And under international law, they are entitled to resist the siege by whatever means necessary. In the same way that the Jewish people in Warsaw in 1943, in the Warsaw Ghetto, resisted their incarceration when they built a wall around them and shelled them and starved them and tried to take them off to Treblinka to massacre them. The Jewish, the heroic Jewish resistance fighters resisted against the Nazi murderers and shot at them and killed them and grotted them and slit their throats. And they were heroes for doing so. And in the same way today in 2015, in the same way today, these people incarcerated and terrorized by Israel in Gaza, they've got the same right to resist, the same right, equal right. And if you don't believe me, Look in Google, look in the history books at a man called Max Edelman. He was a hero of the Warsaw Ghetto in 1943. He escaped. He travelled through the sewers, walking through on his hands and knees, through excrement, through feces and vomit and urine. He travelled for hours and hours and hours and miles and miles and eventually escaped. One of the few people who did so. He was a hero of the Jewish Polish resistance against the Nazis. And he said, and it's written, he said, he equated the struggle of the Jews in Warsaw with the struggle of the Palestinians in Gaza. So don't take my word for it, friends. Right, okay, we had a wee short break there. We kind of had a, a heavy ending there. Yeah. So uh, what we'll do is we'll just kind of get back into where you were wanting to go from. Yeah. And we'll continue for them, man. So speaking of terrorists, uh, Jeremy Corbyn uh, <laughs> lately said that it was a tragedy that Osama bin Laden was executed without a fair trial. Yeah. And David Cameron twisted those words and has put officially in Tory statements that Jeremy Corbyn sympathises with terrorists and says that it's a tragedy that it was executed. Right. So according to David Cameron, you're now a sympathiser of terrorists. What's your thoughts on being a sympathiser of terrorists? I think to be insulted by David Cameron is a badge of honour. <laughs> I met Jeremy Corbyn down at Stop the War conference months ago, not the most recent one, the one before, and I shook his hand and I was a bit starstruck. I said, it's an honour to meet you and I told him that um, I was pro-independent solidarity but I just thought it was wonderful and I wished him well. <coughs> he hadn't been elected Labour leader at that time, I wished him well. George Galloway was sitting next to him. He wished him well as well, so he was in good company. Um, I think what I think about... Uh, Osama bin Laden sorry his name escaped me Osama bin Laden was innocent how do I know he was innocent it's very simple we're all told it's like a mantra we're all told gravity makes things fall to the earth and you are innocent until you're proven guilty these are two incontrovertible facts both in the United States and here in Great Britain you're innocent until you're proven guilty this man was never given a trial therefore he was innocent it's no, it's no good saying oh but we knew that he did it is no good saying, we think that he did it. You're innocent until you're proven guilty. So the United States invaded a sovereign state of Pakistan. They murdered an innocent man. After they murdered him, the Marine who shot him lay down next to him to make sure they'd murdered the correct innocent man. 
Then they took this innocent man and they dumped his body at sea. So they say, I don't know what they did. So I stand with Jeremy Corbyn. I disagree with Jeremy Corbyn on Scottish independence, but I agree yeah. with Jeremy Corbyn on a lot. And on this, I'll stand with Jeremy. And I'll say, yep, I agree. It was a tragedy. It was, in fact, a crime that an innocent man was murdered by the United States. It was actually upsetting to hear George Galloway being against independence as well, actually. Yeah. It was. Because of, of being... Well, being... yeah. Well, he, he, listen, he's got a good argument, and I sympathise with his argument. His argument goes like this. His argument goes, the working class should stick together... And there's a thing in socialism called internationalism whereby we look at the working class in Spain or Portugal or the Suriname or whatever it may be and we say we're all working class together and we need to unite and we shouldn't be having like uh, things to divide us like racism or, 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 or arguments about immigration. That's a good argument. George, I agree with you. And he says on that bit, and he says, look, the, the working class man in Glasgow has got much more in common with the working class man in Birmingham than he has with some rich toff up in uh, Bampshire who's got some big shooting estate again I agree with you George it's pretty much what Billy Connolly said as well right okay fair enough I'm not so interested in Billy Connolly I've got to be <laughs> got to say uh, but our point of view is this it's an ABC approach I've spoken about this before our vision and solidarity of independence is that Scotland gets independence we vote for independence we bring in independence we bring in socialism on the back of independence which will be easier in an independent Scotland because Scotland is way to the left of the rest of the UK we bring in socialism we start redistributing wealth taking money off the rich people giving it to the poorest people in society the people down in England and Wales and Northern Ireland they look at us and they say we were told that would never work we were told that was impossible and yet it's happening we can see it with our own eyes we want some of that so guess what? Then they vote for they vote for socialism. They get independence. Now the moment that England, Wales, Northern Ireland, any of these countries bring in a socialist government, the same as we are <coughs> in Scotland, we will remove the border. So actually, independence in Scotland is the first step to an independent Great Britain, the Republic, the independent Republic, the independent socialist Republic of Great Britain. Never mind the United Kingdom, because we'll get rid of the Queen along the way. She can go off and peel tatties somewhere. Yeah, I was going to ask her. you about that later. Yeah, well, she, she can go. We don't need her. We don't need the Prince of Wales or the Duke of Cornwall or whatever these people are called. We'll find something useful for them to do. We'll retrain them to drive buses or do something. I don't know. But we certainly don't need them. We don't need unelected monarchs that cost us billions of pounds a year. And people say, well, they bring a lot of money to the economy. Listen, if you turn Buckingham Palace... Yeah into a seven-star hotel. That could be the, the biggest, most expensive hotel in the world. Even more expensive than that place out in Dubai that's very expensive. It's Buckingham Palace, for goodness sake. And look how many rooms would be in it. That's a fantastic oh. idea. There you go. And it'll, be run, and it'll be run by the government. It'll be nationalised and we'll be raking it in. So all the Saudi princes and the oligarchs and the people who've got yachts on their helicopters can come and stay at Buckingham Palace. But it'll be like it is in Cuba. All the hotels and everything are run by the state and owned by the state and all the revenue goes back to the state. So... The, the world's biggest, plushiest hotel run by the state. There you go. That'll bring in far more money than the Queen ever does. And bear in mind, we say the Queen generates billions of pounds. You have to do the balance of payments. Look at the amount of money we pay to maintain these people. Yeah. <laughs> no one seems to want to look at those. Personal security 24-7. All I've got, all got my head is the Queen driving the bus. That's all I can think about. <laughs> That's all I've got in my head. Hey, That's go. a fantastic <laughs> That's great. 
And then people say, oh, no, no, I don't get this one, driver. I'll wait for the next one. I believe the Queen's driver. <laughs> well, we believe in free tra- public transport across the whole of Scotland as well. It's another thing that we stand for. Yeah. And so there we are. Um, we wouldn't be able to do it in independent Scotland. We'd have to wait until <coughs> we had an independent republic of Great Britain when we get the Queen driving the bus. But yeah, we could have that. That'd be fantastic. I would tell you, you can do that. Or if you're not doing anything, unfortunately, because you have actual disabilities apart from being very posh, uh, then you get no money whatsoever. So it's drive the bus or get no money. Up to you. We'll, we'll employ the Ian Duncan Smith uh, school of persuasion on her and the entire <laughs> royal family. Well, what's your... Uh, I want to ask you... Sorry to butt in. But uh, I want to ask your opinion on the House of Lords Yeah. and the whole process that goes through. Yeah, it's, it, it was a shame, wasn't it? What, what was that bloke who got elected to the House of Lords? And John Prescott said he never would. He was a working-class guy uh, from the, the, the north of England, uh, Hull, um, John Prescott. The House of Lords, again, it's unelected and it's open to abuse because the government has recently announced plans to elect another 100 Tory Lords, sorry, to appoint 100 Tory Lords in order to redress the balance (coughs) because they suffered a drubbing with the latest bill they were putting through Parliament because there weren't enough Tory Lords. You think, well, this is just a joke. I mean, first of all, there aren't enough seats, physical seats for all these Lords to sit on because the government of the day, whichever one it is, keeps appointing more and more and more and more peers, creating them out of thin air. Yeah. Yeah. And you can end up with something like the crowd scene out of Lord of the Rings. It's just ridiculous. Everybody, everybody. But it's all the cronies and all the friends. I think yeah. it's ridiculous. If you need an upper chamber like you've got in, in America, and I hesitate to, to compare this to America, but in America, okay, they've got two chambers. They've got Congress. They've got the Senate. <coughs> I know pitifully little about American politics, I have to uh, say. I actually done a podcast with an American uh, person. We discussed the differences between... Oh, fantastic. The well, there you guys know about it. So, therefore, my short answer, and you can fill me in on, on the elected upper chamber, my I short can't. answer is if we need, if we need a second <laughs> chamber... like zero. Yeah, they can be elected. What, what we want in Scotland is independence in Scotland, so the Scottish Parliament has complete control. Nicola Sturgeon talks at the moment about full fiscal autonomy, but her hands are kind of half-tied. For example, I'm not here to criticise the SNP because we support the SNP in this forthcoming election because we think they are the best vehicle to get us independence. We're asking people for SNP in your first vote, solidarity in your second. But one of the arguments for independence is to talk about one of the great things that Nicola Sturgeon has done, sorry, the SNP has done before Nicola Sturgeon's time, free prescriptions in Scotland. Absolutely, completely agree. Why should somebody who suffers ill health have to pay for their medicine and I if I don't suffer ill health I don't have to it should be free but you see Nicola or, or before her Alex Almond has the hands tied they've only got so much power they can introduce the free prescriptions what they can't do is the other side of the equation to balance out which is to have a fairer taxation system whereby you're taking more money off the rich less money off the poor because at the moment if I'm on 100k a year I get my prescriptions for free and if the bloke who lives down the road from me is on 12k a year he gets his prescriptions for free right well, that's not on at all. But neither is it on to have means testing and have people saying, oh, please, sir, can I have pre- free prescriptions? No, here's what you do. Free for everybody, but the rich person is paying for it in their taxes. So the SNP has been able to introduce the free prescriptions and not be able to introduce the, the, the fair taxation system to balance it out. Uh, where was I going with that? That was supposed to be something to do with the House of Lords. So what we want in Scotland is the existing Scottish Parliament will become the Parliament that actually runs the country with complete independence. Mm-hmm. We'll have complete independence to introduce laws that will have a fair taxation system. The rich will pay more, more, 
The middle, the people in the middle probably pay roughly the same and poor people will pay a lot less in taxation. And get rid of all this VAT nonsense as well. We're all for coming out of Europe so we can get rid of VAT, we can get rid of being in NATO, we can get rid of nuclear weapons by coming out of NATO, coming out of the EU, we can get rid of austerity. If you're buying something, and again, if you're in 12K and I'm in 100K, and you go and buy something with a VAT in it, you're paying exactly the same tax as I'm paying. You buy a box of chocolates and you pay a pound in tax, or a bottle of whiskey and you pay 10 pound in tax, I'm paying exactly the same amount of tax as you are. That's not right. Purchase tax out the window. And the way that we ensure, one of our main vehicles to ensure that you get fair taxation, one of our early hits that we bring in, is get rid of the council tax completely. It's a really blunt instrument. Replace it with a Scottish service tax that's income-based. And so basically, talks about the amount of money is based on the amount of money that comes into your house. If you're in a household making 150K, you'll pay tax on 150K instead of your council tax. If you're in a household that's making very little money, you pay no tax. Because why should people who don't make a lot of money pay tax? They shouldn't. And again, this has all been thoroughly costed and thoroughly presented to the Scottish Parliament the last time we had MSPs in Parliament, down to the last penny. And again, the poor will pay less, people in the middle will pay roughly the same, the people at the top will pay a, a hell of a sight more. It's fairer. That's what we're after. Mm -hmm. Didn't really answer your question. It touched on your question, didn't it? And then well, it was off. I no, that's fine. Totally. It was about the House of Lords. It was about the House of Lords. Yeah. So basically, now, nah, House of Lords don't need it. Yeah. That's that's what I, felt, looking for. That I felt weird for some reason that for the first time ever, I was sort of on the side of the House of Lords. When they voted uh, to stop the the stopping of working tax credits, yeah, I, I was like, really, I'm, I'm supporting yeah. the House of Lords. <laughs> this is, what the fuck? Well, because it, it, it it's a sticking plaster, so you're right. It's kind of like yes, but, and I completely agree with you that um, if if black and white terms, bad people did a good thing, probably for a bad reason. So, but it doesn't matter. It's a good thing. Yeah, people who are making very little money out there, sweating their guts out on minimum wage, need government tax credits in order to be able to survive. Agreed. But the problem is not <coughs> whether or not we should have tax credits. The problem is whether we should is what we need to have is a national living wage. And at the moment, yeah, we've yeah. got this ridiculous situation where there is a minimum wage and then there's a living wage, and the minimum wage is less than the living wage. Well, listen. It's not rocket science. If the living wage is what you need to live on, that's your living wage. That's your minimum wage. It's the same thing. It's ridiculous that there should be two. So we talk about introducing immediately a £10 living minimum wage. And the same for benefits. So that everybody is getting enough to live on and live decently and be able to survive and not wake up in fear that I spoke about before. Not waking up in fear about your bills. So... The tax credits is a wee bit like Paul Daniels when he does misdirection or, or for the younger people among you, Dynamo or any of these stage musicians. They do something to take your mind off what they, with one hand what they're doing with the other, right? So tax credits, yes, as a short-term temporary measure, you definitely need them now because we're completely anti-poverty, anti-austerity. But what we need to see is what are the tax credits masking? Yeah. The tax credits are masking the government subsidising their billionaire mates to, to employ people at slave wages. And then the government makes <coughs> up the rest. And all this, then the government says, and then business says, oh, the private sector is so much more efficient than the public sector. Yes, that's because the public sector pays the living wage. That's because the private sector employs slaves. That's why it looks like you're more efficient. You're not more efficient. You're just cruel, evil, heartless, and greedy. That's not more efficient. And if the government is subsidizing you as a company, 
to top up the wages of your employees or if the government is buying your building for you like Amazon, then we're actually, it's a public-private partnership and it shows the private sector cannot survive without the public sector. It shows that the private sector is actually a little bit rubbish mm -hmm. and the public sector is actually far better because whenever you, the private sector, whenever you drop the ball, for example, the banking crisis, we step in, the public sector, the taxpayers, the people, and we bail you out. We support you with a crutch that keeps you going. There. Public versus private. Always go public. I feel myself about a crossroads here. Uh, see, see on the like, news night and stuff, you usually hear the, the debates and the people arguing with the guys that they've got in. Aye. I feel myself just agreeing with everything you're saying. <laughs> so I feel like we're not covering it properly. Should we be arguing about something? Well, I, I can nitpick. <laughs> Right, go. Let's try and. I'll just make something up. Yes. Eh. Uh, nah, fuck that, haven't I? <laughs> Shit. I just about. Think... You, you can always edit it. No, sorry. I, I, know, I, know, I know you don't do that, it's against the principles, but you always can. Is there not anything on this leaflet here? There's eight points here. What's the Who's using Bairns as bombs? As bombs? What? I'm sorry. Bairns, not bombs. Instead of using bombs, just chuck Bairns. <laughs> I'd. Bears not bombs, no news in Scotland. Yeah, no to fracking. Uh, replace council tax with fair income based alternative. Right, right. I, I know, I know, I know what I want to say. But right. that, that was my point. I, I feel like I agree with most of the. Yeah, yeah the I agree, I agree so, with everything. So we're not news. That's why. I, that's why I picked specifically on mm. uh, the organic because that's the only thing that I've had an issue with. Oh, yeah. With Scottish political that's parties, it. as they all seem to be against that specific. They're all mm. uh, trying to fight climate change. That's fine. But they all seem to be on this one side with organic food. They seem to be wanting. But the the thing that annoyed me, I, I'm I'm totally fit, like we had Samuel on there, there who's uh he's a Rastafarian, right? Mm -hmm. And he he likes his organic stuff. He likes a uh, gluten free organic, right. expensive coconut chocolate, coconut chocolate <laughs> uh, stuff, and right. that's fine. But my problem was that w when. I'm sure you know that a few, I think it was a couple of months ago, uh, GMOs were banned in Scotland. Right. Right. So the reason they gave for that wasn't that uh, they were worried about harm. They weren't worried about uh, long-lasting effects. What they were worried about was that Scotland is seen as this agricultural uh, heaven. Where That's right. we've got yeah. like, very clean food. That's right. Yeah. Clean industry. And they wanted to keep that going as Heritage well as it. Heritage and all that stuff. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand that, but I think they've they've banned something that could. I mean, a, there's a big issue now with celiac disease. There's a lot of people being diagnosed with certain things, and then it's coming back that it's someone else that's caught most yeah. of the time celiac disease. Mm. So there's GMO products that could allow certain things that would normally have gluten in them to not have gluten. Sure. And I think that what Scottish, the, what the Scottish government has done, has kind of ruined that. They've kind of stopped that from ever happening uh, sure. with this love for heritage and whatever. Yeah. And I think partly a fear of science in general, or what could come from that science. Oh, and I, I, I think it's, I think it's, I understand what they're coming for. I just, I don't, I don't see if I agree with them. I don't, yeah. I don't think I agree with that. No. I like that. It's, it's good. It's an, it's an interesting perspective. I can see from what you're saying. I, w I was vaguely aware of this happening, but when you when you were when you were describing it there, I was thinking, yeah, it, it became very clear to me. 
what Scot- Scotland the brand and Scotland all about the heritage and the pure water and the pure air and you know acres and acres of privately owned land with with rich toffs running around shooting yeah. deer and peasants on it. Um, yeah, got that, and people like that picture, especially from United States and so forth. So it's good, you know, Scotland the brand maintain the brand. And then, but then what you said about, you know, for example, gluten-free cereals, so people with celiac disease can enjoy some of the same foods that they could enjoy if they didn't and have cheaper, it. And cheaper, because gluten-free now is yeah, cost extremely expensive. So yeah, so it's, it's good. I mean, it's something I'm going to have to go around. Again, like with my policy, never bullshit, and it's something I'll have to go away and think about. And I'm definitely going to take that on board, and I'll bring that up at confidence when we discuss it. I guess off the top of my head, I'm not, I'm not pretending that I thought about this before. I guess at the top of my head, uh, I guess we'd have to look at would if we're importing it from England or France or somewhere. This this you know uh, GMO modified stuff uh, that makes life easier for people with intolerances or allergies. Is that going to make a massive difference cost wise, or is it something that we could live with? Could we have a cake and eat it? Could we have this agricultural paradise with no GMOs and you know everything 100% organic and beautiful in Scotland? I'm just quietly importing um, specialist foods for people with, with intolerances and life-threatening allergies. I don't know. Like I said, just off the top of my head, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's fine. I, I just, yeah. That's a good point, right? I, I, good. I like, I like uh, hearing other opinions on things, even if I disagree with them. I, yeah. like, I like to speak about them. I don't need to argue. I there never needs to be a hatred for each other. There never needs to be no. any of that. I just like... To be a good conversation works, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just the way the vaccine thing is quite an interesting thing as well mm-hmm. because there's been a couple of people in the Green Party. I don't know if it's been the Scottish one, but I have heard a few. Well, against vaccinations, I think. Ag- against uh, the flu vaccine specifically. Right. right. Uh, they've never they've never really went as far as saying that it causes autism or anything because I think that's been pretty much debunked at this point. Mm. But the, the, the worry about some of the chemicals inside it, some of the, the mercury inside it, the formaldehyde stuff like that mm. and it's another thing that I kind of it's something that's asthmatic I kind of rely on people getting their vaccines and when mm. there's politicians who are quite well known uh, saying stuff about not getting certain vaccines because of mercury it mm. kind of uh, worries you yeah, well, yeah. so your, what would be your stance on vaccinations then for Va- vaccinations the mercury thing really worries me um, if I can inject a lighter note here to a true story when I was a boy until I was 14, I suffered really bad childhood asthma, terrible, terrible. And I'd be, I, I would say, I'd, I'd ask my parents and I'd ask people at school, you know, mum or the teacher or the nurse, or whatever, has anyone ever died of asthma? And I'm very grateful that that actually lied through the teeth to me and said, no, 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 no one's ever died. It's yeah. not that dangerous. This is what, when you're a boy, a little boy, yeah. this is what you need to hear. So it was terrible. And I, I'd, I'd sometimes be an entire day or a couple of days in bed and then back up I'd get. And I, I'm not even sure because what, what caused it or whatever, right? Anyway, point is, right, I got to 14 and I started smoking. And guess what? Bam! Asthma went away. Smoked for 20 years, stopped smoking, and it didn't come back. So happy days. I need to so stop I, smoking. I don't think... Like, oh, I, I should really do the disclaimer. Anyway, sorry, that was... That was, it, was it was kind of on topic. I don't smoke. That's... that's I know. Well, I need to try so, smoking. You've you got to make your fag now. You'll be sorted. Well, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not really a scientific trial, but you don't smoke and your brother does, and yet he doesn't have asthma. But anyway... Um, this is not Fuck. official solidarity a, policy. I do probably have cancer as well. That's probably the one that does. It, it's not it's official. Not but but the, the vaccine thing, right? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm scared with the mercury idea because my well, idea of mercury is it never I'll goes away and just builds up in your body. You know? I'll try. I'll try and put your your mind at rest. Okay. And in, in a vaccine, there's less mercury in a vaccine than there is in a tin of tuna. 
Right, okay. So eating a tin of tuna would tend, if you're worried about the mercury, would be more harmful than getting a good, vaccine. That's, that, that's good perspective. And obviously some people, like yourself, because you suffer from asthma, elderly people, and other people have got like uh, uh, weakened immune systems and so forth. I'm not a doctor, but I mean, I'm guessing those three um, uh, classifications of people really benefit from a flu jab because a flu for people in, like, like yourself and other people with weakened immune systems could be pretty dangerous and pretty yeah. scary. Whereas for me, I have no particular health issues at this point in my life. So maybe the flu for me, I think I've ever had the flu. I've been really fortunate. Ever since I stopped having asthma, I've been really healthy. Fuck. Um, <laughs> He's a fuck, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I don't, again, I don't know. I don't know. The, I remember them talking about this supposed link between childhood autism and, and the flu vaccine. Or, oh, no, it wasn't the flu vaccine. It was, it was polio. Uh, yeah, the RR, the MRR, the measles, mumps, rubella, MMR vaccine and like you say i think that's been debunked yeah. but there's things like polio right that have been eradicated in this country and is almost eradicated across the entire world there's diseases which have been completely eradicated which used to kill millions of people and they've been eradicated through immunization or vaccine or whatever you want to call it so you can't just turn around and say vaccination is a bad thing i mean okay maybe you need to be careful and look at the details but come on you know diseases have been eradicated through it so yeah. let's not be too hasty in throwing the vaccine well, you get people like jim carrey who is a celebrity status to tell people not to get their measles vaccine mm. so they had, had their first breakout in a, a measles in america i think it was last year right. for a while they've had as a, a result of that uh, it was well, disney <coughs> disneyland i think I, I remember reading about it i can't remember what it was exactly but there was an outbreak at a disneyland place and it was because people would stop taking that specific vaccine. Yeah, and they're all coming out in contact with each other in a public yeah. place. But I've, I've got a mate of mine, a good friend, Rudy, uh, Rudy Vogels, and he's he's a polio survivor. Uh, he's a wee bit older than me, and he's a polio survivor. And it really it, it had a, wreaked havoc on his body, and he could talk to you quite a lot. Maybe you could bring him along here one day. That'd be a good um, idea. He's a good yeah. socialist comrade of mine, a Dutch guy, a uh, lovely guy, a very dear friend, and he could talk to you. He, he's a member of the um, Polio Survivors Network or something like that. He could talk to you a lot about that disease, and that's probably why that one jumped to my head about mm. that was eradicated. Yeah. You know, we don't even need to worry about that. If we have kids, we don't have to worry about it. Yes, so we get vaccinated, and that's it. You know. Sure. I I think we're pr pretty much finished. That's cool. Cool. Be, good. Is there anything you want to bring up? Any specific no, points you want to make? No, we've we've. I think. Listen, thanks very much. I'm along. It's been great fun. It's been good. I hope uh, in in the future, if I have do more interviews I'll just be like this this is this, this is great the points I wanted to put across look solidarity with the socialist party what makes us different from the other mainstream parties all pretend to be interested in things like austerity and so forth is that we've got a very clear and simple plan of how we intend to get how we intend to tackle it and it's basically through introducing socialism we're anti-fracking as well and the reason again the difference between us and the SNP the SNP are caught between a rock and a hard place They've got a wee bit ambiguous stance on fracking because they're basically a capitalist party yeah, and yeah. fracking is about making money. We say nationalise the energy industry and then we don't have to be all about profit. It's about people. So we're talking about renewals, we're talking renewables, tidal energy, all that sort of stuff. We don't need to make a profit. We just need to make energy. So the fundamental difference, and I could go on through every single point in the manifesto, but I won't, but the fundamental difference between solidarity as a party and all these other parties they may try to sound the same as us, they may be saying some of the same stuff as us, but we're coming from the point of view that people before profit, simple as that, they're profit before people, that's what's different yeah. about us. 
Actually, before we go, what's actually hilarious to me, I don't know if you've ever been on the Labour Party UK a Wikipedia page, right. but they're still technically classed as a socialist party. Oh, remarkable. That's amazing. I mean, well, <laughs> I, I was on... All the, all the time, there's no head time to just change that. Aye, so technically... <laughs> technically so their, their own website or Wikipedia? On Wikipedia. Well, I was on our Wikipedia page this morning. The Solidarity one. Yes, and I'm pleased to say that we are far left to hard left. Hey! <laughs> oh, not, aye, 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 I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> so, when was that Labour were voted in? Uh, 97... Oh, is that right? Gosh. Um, I'll, I'll roughly that time. I'll roughly that time. Okay. <laughs> so technically, from 1997 to 2010, uh, the UK was a socialist nation. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so yet again, they're stealing our clothes. Okay, yeah. so what I need to say, I need to clarify that, I need to qualify it. Friends, what you need to do is vote for a far left to hard left socialist party. Yeah. There you go. Solidarity is your man. <laughs> So just to get the last word in, if, if there's anything you need to take away for this podcast, is that the Queen driving the bus is an absolutely <laughs> amazing image. <laughs> and that's us done. Thank Perfect. you very much. Thanks right. very much, man. Goodbye.